Oh, are we on? Oh, we're on. We're on. Where's the button? Press that. Oh, there we go. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Oh, right. Yep. There we go. As ever, a start to things, but such is the way of it. This is us. Um, hello, I'm Eugene McFadden, and in a change to what we would normally do, we're going to have a different, some different guests. So instead of the fake and be a normal club discussion things and going off track and pressing the wrong buttons, we're instead going to be interviewed, chat with, oh, run out of time. And you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talking with Teachers Talk Radio. Oh, I can talk again now. Um, so, yeah, we're going to go off chat or go on tangents with two hashtag Badgerhead key players. Uh, the ones who cancel Australia, that's Daniel Bundred and Jasmine Lane. Uh, both of these people are far cleverer than me, and as such, oh, damn it. Oops, I pressed the wrong thing. There we go. Um, both of these things, are, people are far cleverer than me, and as such, we'll be discussing such high-end things as the canon, what is good literature, uh, was that guy who could take off that poetry anthology actually any good, um, and what should a good literary coordinator do? At this point, I see Daniel Bundred is in the studio, but he hasn't actually kind of asked to speak. So I'm going to keep filling it. Really impressed with myself. I basically used, oh, there we go, invite. I said I'm going to invite. Um, I've put um, Daniel Bottle to speak in now. Can you speak, Daniel? Uh, hello, Eugene. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And you? Yeah, good, good. I've just got off the beach with my kids. Um, it was very busy, uh, lots of ships and sails and salt, which is quite nice. Um, so, so, so it's you, nice in the southwest then? It's lovely in the southwest. Um, but yeah, I mean, i got to say, so do you want to introduce yourself a little bit, talk about who you are? So I'm Daniel Bundred. Um, I'm one of the Badgers. I'm a Key Stage 5 coordinator for English um in a school out in essex uh we're a high performing english courses in english literature and english language and literature sort of delivering consistently at alps one in the last few examined years uh people so alps is a performance metric which basically gives you uh progress as a decile against um expected progress so alps one would put you in the top 10 percent um or slightly less than the top 10 percent of schools nationwide in terms of a level performance or in terms so, of a level progress yep so in terms of like um if you're coordinating you have an idea about what you're doing i'd hope so um i have to say uh, i make an awful lot of mistakes and I'm supported by the fact that I have an extremely able team who can usually point this out to me before anything goes disastrously wrong. Oh, that's pretty good. I think, yeah, I think a lot of the key to leadership, for me at least, is having people around me who are better than me at certain things and don't mind saying Absolutely. to me, yeah, you're wrong. 
often enough. Please don't send the email right now. Be sick before you do anything. Um, so what makes what makes a good A-level course? I'd say there are a few things. Um, I'd say a good A-level course starts off, especially when we're talking about um, a subject like literature. Uh, it starts off with a very key vision as to what it is the A-level wishes to actually deliver because we're never actually teaching just some English um, and no one leaves university with a degree in all of the Englishes. So for us, we focused very clearly on tragedy um, and then that becomes our narrative flow or our thematic flow through the two years of A-level and everything we do feeds into that and our within tragedies we're looking at uh thematics that have a broader application so what are we what are the messages here about power what are the messages here about gender relationships how can we use this as a lens in which to um in which to view our uh, our society and to what extent does literature respond to the societies that it was created in so uh, our exam boards refer to this as the context in which texts were created and received but I'd say there's more than just what you're doing in the lesson and what you're doing in the planning for the lessons and actually having very big picture plans is really useful I think uh, I'm pretty confident that most of our students could narrate what it is we do and how our A-level courses are different from other schools. But I'd also say huge quantities of enrichment. Um, uh, I'd say making use of tutor time uh, in order to broaden horizons with academic knowledge that isn't necessarily immediately applicable, but builds schema and allows for application in interesting and creative ways. So for example, uh, in tutor time, once a week, I will um, deliver a talk to A-level students doing English on a, uh, on a topic, a book, or a, um, uh, or a most recently the 90s movement in in-your-face theater. And once a week, a student will deliver a presentation um, out of a list of topics that I've chosen for them. So most recently, that was uh, Freudian interpretations and for application of Freudian theory on uh, texts that are taught at the across the A-level curriculum. So we have three classes uh, each year, um, at which and having a unified curriculum allows us to ensure that what's being said to one class is equally applicable to all of those classes, which helps us bridge any gaps in teacher knowledge. It allows us to be very cumulative in what we're teaching. I really like that. I like that. I mean, what you're talking about there, you're talking about the curriculum and you're talking about the pastoral element. You know, I'm, I'm, you can't see me. I'm doing like speech marks with my fingers. Um, that enrichment, that pastoral element, and making that pastoral element academic in itself, um, which I think many schools don't do. Yes, I'd say pastoral and academics. Honestly, students are not going to be happy if they are doing badly in school. And yeah. if they are unhappy, they'll also do badly in school. So they're very, very linked. And if they do well in school, it will increase their, it will improve their mood. 
um, you know, we all like success. So making, thinking about how we link pastoral to the idea of success in school, specifying success throughout our curriculum, but also um, plenty of opportunities to just, you know, I say on Tuesday, I deliver a talk on Thursday, they deliver a talk on Friday, we just get together and play card games. Like there is also an element of downtime that you want to create in that in terms of uh, actually making time to listen to your students as well as to, you know, constantly be on broadcast to them. I think, yeah, I think that's very important. I mean, I, I come from a kind of key stage three, key stage four in my current place, or is a key stage five, but I tend not to get involved. Um, mostly because I don't like them calling Oh, God, my no, name. I would not so, be called my first name by students. I don't they call me Sarah or Mr. Pundred. Oh, I, I like that. But yeah, there's a kind of movement in Cornwall. Basically, the uh, the big uh, colleges went down the route of being called by their first names. So therefore, the secondary schools did the same thing. as a kind of like, this will help us uh, maintain students. And I was like, I don't think being allowed to call your teacher by the first name is the most important thing in terms of retention at, at sixth form. But, you know, it wasn't my decision. Yeah. So there we uh, go. Honestly, I uh, find that the best way of recruiting students is delivering good results. We yeah. uh, we don't consider ourselves in competition with colleges. If students want very large bodies um, in which they can be semi-anonymous, they can have a real course selection, the environment's quite casual, but the results are worse. We have those options in our area. We find that a lot of students choose not to take them because they want to stay with us. They think that there's a brighter future there. I think, yeah, I think that's a very important thing to kind of like um, broadcast to your Keisha's four students, but that's a kind of a whole different sidestep. Um, so you talked about why did you choose tragedy for your, your key underpinning structure? Well, originally um, we chosen, uh, so a lot of the text selection wasn't originally my choice. It was the choice of the previous key stage five coordinator. Um, and Frankenstein Handmaid's Tale had been chosen in one unit. Uh, obviously, you have to do a Shakespeare play, and 90% of um, this is according to FXL 90% of schools opt for tra the tragedies rather than the comedies. And we'd picked a fellow in that. And when I was sort of taking over, I chose to keep those texts in place. Um, so there was a sort of movement towards uh, texts that could loosely be categorised as tragedy or had tragic structures. Um, and so one of the things I thought was useful was making that slightly more robust. But primarily, I'd say tragedy is more timeless than comedy. If we think about what um, makes us laugh at any given period it tends to be quite topical it tends to be obviously there's a certain amount of absurdist humor and amounts of slapstick but there's an awful lot of satire if you think the um uh the plays of um god i've just completely blanked on the name of a uh, um a greek comedian uh, um but he's um Ischlis. No, Euripides. No. Which one? 
poss- possibly Euripides. It's not Aeschylus because Aeschylus was a Stygian. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. yeah, so um, let's go with and say it's Euripides. And we'll also understand one of the reasons we choose tragedy rather than comedy is I don't know much about comedy. Um, uh, you have a scene which is, you know, undoubtedly hilarious of a uh, Athenian politician um, ascending in the deus ex machina on a dung beetle in order to uh, argue with the Olympian gods. But actually, it's much funnier to that contemporary audience who know who that politician is. Mm. And even if we teach the amount of context of the um, our students need in order to understand that joke, it still doesn't actually have a specific relevance to them. Whereas the themes of tragedy, the penalties of hubris, the idea about having people who are generally good but are deeply flawed in a particular way, people being punished by their mistakes in a way that is logical but is always too severe. These are absolutely timeless ideas that we sit throughout humanity. I also think tragedy is much more character focused and it allows you to spend more time thinking about people and we actually like talking about people as a species yeah we do i think what you're kind of saying is that comedy is quite specific to a time period whereas tragedy is eternal yes um and it's you know notable that of the lectures of aristotle's that remains his lecture on comedy in the poetic survives and sorry the lecture on tragedy and the poetic survives and the lecture on comedy does not yeah. and in the lecture on tragedy he speaks of tragedy as being the higher art form so one wonders whether the comedy simply wasn't recorded or if it was subsequently destroyed whereas tragedy was preserved due to the understanding that it was eternal i like that it's kind of a certain irony although i've got to say bit of slap this bit of slapstick that's always going to be a turn, isn't it? You know, no yes, what. I'd say that. Yeah. So, okay, so you've built this kind of like your overarching kind of like world domination plan to turn your children, your students from, you know, ex individuals to like lean, mean, Alps one killing machines. How Apex does that... predators is what we call them. Say that again? Apex predators is what we call them. Apex predators, I like that. So, you know, and I've seen you can trot them out to other things and they kind of eat other children alive, which is quite impressive. Um, it's, it's, it's always good seeing in events with other schools and how much better our kids are. Yeah, obviously, I'm sure someone's going to complain about the fact that we're comparing children to um, velociraptors, but that's fine. Um, that, by the way, is a very niche reference to something that happened on Edu Twitter about three years ago. Was it three years? Maybe yes, four years ago. Raptorgate. That was actually before my time on Edu Twitter. I'm relatively recent. Oh, me too. It was just literally as I started, Raptorgate was kicking off, and I was, was like, it Tom Bennett who um, who made the Velociraptor comparison. Yeah, he was just referencing a uh, Jurassic Park one, the only decent Jurassic Park film. You know, like uh, kids like Velociraptors occasionally they test a fence, you know, and then mm. people took to Cambridge, as they do. Um, mm. And then I, because I'm a bit of a Muppet sometimes, I then changed my avatar to a Velociraptor. For like, but, you know, <laughs> that's just me. Um, so, oh, that's re- that'd be a really good place now to kind of like 
merge into talk discussing badger and edge of twitter but i really want to kind of like stick on am i going to try and be disciplined and stick on to the actual idea about how your two-year journey creates your apex predators of your students um so how i mean did you set out basically going i want to design a curriculum whereby at the end of this my my students will be apex predators or was that just what happened uh it was sort of it's always been partly um uh, so I'm very competitive as a teacher and I've always compared my classes to other classes. Um, so there's always been an element of, you know, uh, it was great when we had tags because we ev moderated everything and everyone's marks were on a spreadsheet. So I could see that of the top 10 students in um, a school, seven of them were my students and that kind of thing uh is simply a mentality that i expanded over the school um but as i say we were good when um we were good when i started uh there's another thing that um made me consider this more consciously which was the extent to which we couldn't effectively um build or maintain culture um during the three lockdowns we've had over the last two years yeah um, and so going into um uh with sort of this outgoing year 13 they're students who've um they never did their gcses uh they weren't really in forms because we kept kicking um sick formers off site if they weren't in a lesson so then they had tutor time it was once a week um i was a sick form form tutor for one period of uh, for a brief period and then I was moved to key stage three because they needed teachers on full-time contracts because it was a difficult key stage three form and key stage three were having lessons five times a week. I think there was a sort of sense of neglect um, and that became, certainly I'd say that these students uh, who were leaving us are very good and will probably meet um, that sort of 50% A's to A star target uh that we always have in mind but also we had a lot of students falling through the gap and we didn't really have that sort of cohesive culture in which um all of them could say who they were and that they were proud to be there which i remembered from 2019 from our um uh from the results that put us at the top of the county um back then and it was a case of after two years of this being a bit shoddy and my best attempts not being quite good enough and me not really thinking through it uh to go back into um the start of this year uh with a group of students um uh, a cohort who we could deliver really really brilliant results from as a factor of our culture um and that was where part of the um you know sort of the mentality that came from 2019 got codified and got amped up and the you know uh the sort of noble lie you are here because you were selected um you are here to outperform every other school in the county uh you know i don't really care how long how well you do as long as you do better than everyone else <laughs> um, uh the apex predator lines all of that came from almost a sense of frustration with how poorly 
um, we'd managed with the last two cohorts, how much we'd been like the way you described the sixth form in your school or uh, some of the colleges where, you know, actually we talk about it as staff and we wouldn't send our own children. You know, I would happily, yeah, I would happily send my children to my sixth form. But I think, um, yeah, I think we're under a lot of competition from like other bigger um, sixth forms. But it's interesting talking to you as a, with your apex predator mentality. Um, I'm gonna have some conversations with a new head of sixth form around yeah. create and apex predators. That's what we want, apex predators, um, which I'm sure will go down really, really well uh, in Cornwall. <laughs> yeah. So I need to press play now to make the news come on for which is now obviously five minutes late. Um, and then I want to come back and talk about um, Badger Red and how many people we've annoyed, you know, as is the case, by being just Australia, Australia. But I think, you know, just just being particularly neurodiverse, because I think you are probably of all of us, the most quote unquote normal person, I think. <laughs> She's very posh. You've got a boat and like, you know, a very nice car. Um, and you know what, you know, red and white wines are and that kind of thing. But anyway, so we're going to come back to that. I'm going to press play and listen to like some adverts that I'm legally obliged to play or something like that. Um, that gives me enough time to make a cup of tea or something like that. And I see my kids have come back from the beach and they're probably going to burst into this room. Do you want to try and text Jasmine as well and wake her up? Because I think her nap will run. Cool. I will see you in about right. 10 minutes. Okay. Bye. Right. Talk to you then. See ya. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development Every component of Oxford Smart is connected to you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Stevewoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. I just Coming mean, up, we're at an ad break in Eugene's show. Um, you should join the call. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit stevewoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half term and join me for two days and receive up to 1,360 £60 in bursary. Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at stevewoods.co.uk. Here at Witherslack Group, we are celebrating the launch of our new Luxborough Court School in Chickwell, Essex, with a very special one-day autism conference titled Enabling Inspirational Education. 
taking place on Wednesday the 29th of June from 10am at Luxborough Court School, are dedicated to providing practical advice to education professionals working with neurodiverse children and young people. The event is free to attend and presentations on the day will focus on creating cultures of aspiration and excellence, supporting the emotional well-being of pupils, autism-friendly classrooms and managing challenging behaviour. So, whether you're looking to add to your extensive understanding or are new to SEN to build your knowledge, our conference will offer an amazing opportunity to engage with experts and network with colleagues from across the sector. Don't miss your chance to claim your free ticket and we hope you can join us for what's sure to be a fantastic day. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash events to register or contact events at withaslackgroup.co.uk for more information. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. TES Magazine reports on new data highlighting the extent of the problems faced by early years settings. New Ofsted data shows recent changes in the number of early years provider places in England is just the latest in a series of surveys, reports and statistics showing the impact of underfunding. According to figures between April 2020 and March 2021, the number of providers fell by 4,000. When confronted by provider closures, the government has been accused of arguing that all is fine because overall places have remained stable. The article argues that this ignores significant regional disparities. The article quotes figures from the Early Years Alliance, which shows that almost half of all local authorities recorded a drop in Early Years places over the past five years. This, combined with research by the Education Endowment Foundation, which revealed that the percentage of children reaching expected levels of development in all areas of learning by the end of reception had also dropped below pre-pandemic levels. Neil Leach from Early Years Alliance said that the fig figures should worry all educational professionals and called for government action on what he called a sustained lack of adequate funding. As the end of the academic year looms for many or has just begun, the leading news website in Wales is reporting on the public consultation planned for the new academic year. The new consultation is for changes to school terms in order to support curriculum planning and delivery, tackle disadvantage and support learner and staff well-being. This would include consultation on the length of school terms and, as a result, on the length of holidays. The NASUWT union has already condemned the plans to restructure the school year. In Leicester, schools have been growing their own grub as part of an annual competition in the city. The meal barrow are full of healthy fruit and veg, with entries judged on Saturday the 2nd of July. Organised by Leicester City Council's Sustainable Schools team in conjunction with public health. Schools were tasked with coming up with a healthy, nutritious and creative menu idea for a three-course meal and growing at least five of the ingredients they'd need. In South Africa, steps are being taken to improve media literacy in order to help combat fake news. A study conducted by researchers analysed the status of media literacy and found out that skills are not taught in high schools and universities and that a comprehensive national media literacy programme is it also described teachers as the first line of defence when dealing with issues of online harassment, bullying and scams targeted at youngsters. So a comprehensive programme of training is needed. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. 
This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello! Last week, I spotted a tweet from Nathan Ginn. Some of you may know him from his Twilight Tuesday show here on TT Radio, others as at Nathan Lesson Copy. He tweeted, It's that part of the school year where it's uncomfortably hot at school and raining at the weekend. He's proven correct in most parts of the country for the past couple of weeks. The question this week is not, has Nathan jinxed us like Rihanna's umbrella song, but can tech keep us cool in the classroom? So let's see if we can find out some gadgets to make baking in a boiling room with 30 kids cooler. Please note I'll only be looking at personal devices, not commercial cooling units. First up, if you have a spare 20 to 30 pounds and like you're about to enter a mini gurning competition, then perhaps a portable neck fan is for you. It looks like you're wearing chunky headphones around your neck and depending on speed settings can give you a light breeze to hero wind that will stand your hair on end for up to 21 hours. Driving away heat from your neck and face, USB rechargeable, this may be the answer for any hot-headed teachers out there. Next up, a portable evaporative air cooling fan. Again, depending on size, you're looking at 15 to 40 pounds. This works on having a small reservoir of water and a blind-like material soaking it up inside. Air passes over the water and breeze when you're sitting in front of it. Having had one of these, I can say they do work, but the downside is people just can't look with their eyes. Inevitably, people will come to your desk, ask what it is, and pick it up, covering themselves, you, and possibly your computer in water. Also, if left over the summer without drying it out, it will go a little green and need disposing of to reduce the risk of spreading Legionnaire's disease around your classroom. If on a tighter budget, a USB desk fan can't fail. Before you start pointing out that USBs are deactivated in your school, the data transfer may be, but the power will not so you'll still be able to power and charge devices over USB. Some come with docking stations, making them more portable. Others are wired. From £5 to £20, these are more pocket-friendly and also less hassle. If you're in need of a breeze as you wind up the year, tech can come to your rescue. Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us how you stay cool or ask me what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. You've been listening. And we're back. That was that. Um, so we should hopefully have joined us now Jasmine Lane as well as Daniel. Jasmine's now connected. Uh, Jasmine is from America, from a state in America. Jasmine, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Um, so I'm from America, but I don't live there anymore. Make sure that's clear. Oh, yeah. Jasmine is now uh, lives in London. Oh, I'm from Minnesota. That's where I'm from. Yeah. Ah, there we go. So obviously, um, how was your nap? Uh, it was good. I almost just fell asleep during the uh, whatever just was the the news we were just listening to. So yeah, the talk the talky bit. Yeah, yeah. I um, read about um, medieval soap because that's my current thing to read about randomly. Um, so you you are now, aren't you, or are you about to be? About to be from September. And is that going to be just key stage three or key stage three and four or bigger? It's going to be the whole school. Um, oh. Yeah. So not just English, but all the, all the schools. And I'll still be doing um, key stage three English because we haven't advertised for my position yet, but that will, so I'll still be doing that as well, but that will, that will change the following year. Oh, nice. And then you're going to try and create uh, apex predators out of your students through literature. 
<laughs> uh, that's that's Daniel's uh, thing, but I, one thing at a time. I don't know. I mean, I um, my I had a year seven year group, and our thing was we were wolves, you know. And I kind of signed off every single assembly with like, right, you may now go, my wolves. Um, and I had some of them saying things like, "What was it? We're wolves. Nobody puts a wolf in a cage." That kind of thing. Um, and then on, on my last day, being in charge of them, I got like a few little kind of wolf presents. So there was an apex predator thing going on there. Quite nice. Um, nice an apex predator that's also a pack animal. A very good yes, metaphor. It is a very good metaphor. And that's why I chose it. I used to be really into tigers. And then I realized that it's not the best. Because tigers are lone wolves. Ha ha ha. To mix that metaphor. <laughs> um, tigers are not good as a kind of pastoral symbol. Whereas a wolf is a pack. It's about the pack coming together, working together. Um, you know, and dominating the rest of the school, which is what's important. Also, we went on to like just win and dominate every every sporting event for that year. Our year seven did like cross county. We won football, rugby, netball, um, and athletics. It was really good. I felt so proud. And then lockdown happened, which is sad. But there we go. So anyway, so we've discussed making pupils into um, apex predators. Um, I mean, it's important sort of like seeing that pastoral, quote unquote, pastoral element as not necessarily being non-academic, making that pastoral bit actually be academic. Um, Jasmine, what is your vision as a literacy coordinator? <laughs> Are you interviewing me now? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I just I just assume you, you've rocked up now. So I'm not going to talk at you. and I'm going to kind of bring Daniel in as well. Um, uh what did I talk? Oh my goodness. So this was the first part of my interview. They were like, you'll have a task. We will be given the information on the day. And so uh, she's like, okay, you have 15 minutes, write down what your vision is and how you plan on implementing it. Like that oh, was, nice. you know, but I mean, I already thought of it before then. Um, my vision. Yeah, go on. I'm not going to do the whole thing. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to okay, give yeah, my, yeah. my elevator speech or whatever, but um, basically it's that, every people has confidence reading writing and speaking in every subject and outside of subjects it's not just about um it's not just about like writing well it's also about just sounding like you're confident um so that's what that's one thing that i think a lot of people sometimes will kind of neglect um it's more just like let's build a culture of reading and i'm like yeah but also we need confident kids to go out into the world and to dominate um, because we're from London and we're the best. So I, I want Ooh. them to feel that. Yeah. yeah, I like that. And I think that's important. Yeah, That academia to make them into like positive, you know, confident individuals. Um, I like that. I'm probably going to steal that and use it in my school. That's nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you find it different teaching in the UK to teaching in like London? Not teaching in London, to teaching in America? It's a hundred percent different. Um, you actually have to try. Um, you have to be like on a schedule. Um, there's an expectation that kids learn rather than like I, I did to an extent. There is some. There is a time when I really did feel like a babysitter um, in America, and now it's just like that's not the case at all. Um, yeah, but I'm also much more tired all of the time. But hence why I'm sleeping again, even though I woke up at, you know, 1 p.m. And I just took another nap. Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> children, 
I don't get to nap um, anymore or maybe ever again. Who knows? Um, so we're all badgers, um, which is a kind of like an edgy Twitter kind of niche thing. Um, how did the badger thing start? I can't remember anymore. Um, I mean, I remember Tabitha McIntosh and uh, Dr. Steve, what's his surname? Sputnik, Sputnik, Sputnik. Steve. Um, they were just talking randomly and they were talking about like stroking badgers, like literally, like actual, like the animal. And then it just became, it just became a thing from that. Um, the emoji thing, this is actually funny. You know how everyone has like a badger in their, their, their handle. I started that. (laughs) I never saw that. I did. Yeah. I just, cause people were putting it like. People put like Badger Ed in their bio. They had, and I was like, eh, I don't want to do that, but I'm like, I'll just put a little Badger. So I'm like, I'll just do that. And then I did it. And then I remember Asbo teacher did it. And then like everyone else started doing it. Um, but yeah, so I, I'll, I'll always remember that. I'm like, I started a thing. <laughs> oh, that's that quite cool. I did not know you started that. Yeah, oh, well exactly. <laughs> oh. And the next thing um, you're starting is bringing American teachers over to teach in London. Yeah. <laughs> are, you do, are you doing that as well? What you started doing? I mean, I talk about it all the time. And basically anyone that's like a black American, I'm like, if you can leave, just leave. Because there's nothing there. And you hate it anyway, because I did. And you'll be happier here. Um, but I did have someone DM me and she was like, hey, I'm actually interested. Like, how do you go about this? And I was like, this, 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 and this. And then, yeah. So oh, wicked. Yeah. That could be a kind of... <laughs> that sounds, um, sounds a bit, what's the word to, not nefarious, is that the word I'm thinking of? Oh, no, it doesn't sound evil. There are agencies that do this entirely. Um, you know, I think Engage imports loads from Canada, don't they? Do they? I, don't know. I guess that word, import, just sounds so, I don't know. It's better than traffic teachers from America. <laughs> <laughs> it has that. It has that connotation for me. I guess they like, import teachers. I'm like, mm. it's, it's a little. Mm. Mm. So, say, help them escape from America. Yes, actually, yeah. in exchange for all of their labor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna take dangerous territory now, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so okay, so that's gonna be your perhaps other thing you're going to do is like be a kind of positive influence helping Americans come over here and teach um and obviously you've been has it been a year you've been in England now not yet still not a year Mm -mm. oh my god when did you come over um and so it's a year in about two weeks wow yeah so it feels a lot longer that you've been here it does in a good way yeah in a good way yeah but my sense of time is not yeah, because I've just, as I said previously, I've got small kids. I don't sleep much. Um, the last 10 years have been a kind of like a kind of gray blur. Of That's like, what the last 11 and a bit months have been for me is just I, I have no sense of time anymore because of how tired I am and then just how many things I do. Um, yeah. It's just like I, it's, you know, I just was like, oh, I, I forgot today was my dad's birthday because I forgot that today was, I just, I know that today is half term like that's how i think i'm like term time break time um so that's that's been new too yeah no yeah once you have kids i mean it's like 
my eldest is now 10 years old. No, she's not. She's nine years old. She's nearly 10, um, which is quite scary because like, I swear to God, she was just born like a few days ago. And suddenly she's like, you know, like just wandering off around a village independently. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, where's she gone? She hasn't told me she's going out. What is she doing? Um, uh, and she never really slept until she was seven. And then the next one didn't sleep until she was seven. And the current one is four and she doesn't sleep. So it's been nearly 10 years now of not sleeping, which has been, you know, bad for my health, I think. But anyway, it's okay. These things happen. Eventually they will sleep and I'll be able to like move on with my life. Hopefully, maybe. I don't know. Um, right. So normally at this point, if it was me and Georgia, Georgia, by the way, has had an interesting day of like, it's her. So have you two listened to the show previously? Uh-huh. I have. Yes. Okay, good. So yeah, normally Georgia, me and Georgia and Heather just gone off on really random tangents. Um, they can't make it today. Georgia's um, eldest has got a birthday. Georgia completely forgot. So, oh my God, my, kid, my kid's birthday. Uh, she had, had a broken tire. Uh, she's been at the park and she's messaged me saying that she's very, very tired and wants to die. So I think the day has gone quite well. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. But normally by this point, we've gone off on a completely random tangent original thing. Now, originally, we were going to be discussing gender, um, but we haven't done that yet um, because you aren't Georgia and Heather. Having said that, I don't mind discussing gender because I tend to forget that people have a gender because I just I just forget people actually aren't me as well. So that's another thing I do. Um, so shall we, I mean, and I actually did my MA on representations. Uh, my thesis was um, violence as a definer of masculinity in contemporary American crime fiction, which I thought was quite an interesting title. And it got, it let me read um, James Elroy books and do Freudian analysis of those. So there we go. So you two, do you cover gender in your teaching? Endlessly. Endlessly. I mean, yes. I mean, so uh, we're quite into um, uh, second wave radical feminism at the moment and uh, violence as axiomatic with male sexuality uh, sort of through um, the lens of Andrea Dworkin. Uh, I gave a presentation a couple of weeks ago on um, Shulamith Firestone's The Dialectics of Sex and the idea of the uh, destruction of the sexual being um, entirely, well, the, um, the severing of reproductive slavery from the sexual being and the degendering of, um, of the entity as part of intrinsic, as a sort of intrinsic um, uh, repressor of, um, of biological females which you know the kids were very interested in it's always when you give a talk and you hear at the end of it a bunch of kids turn to the person next to them and just go I hadn't thought of that before and you know you've done something good in terms of um, the academic enrichment I think that's really and that was like at your sixth form wasn't it yes yeah yeah, I quite like. Yeah, I've got um, I've got some of my higher ability kids who we have because it's Cornwall. Um, we have every year there's a kind of like a local kind of festival, um, and all these kind of kids kind of dance through the through the town dressed in white, 
um, all the girls dressed in white dresses and all the boys dressed in white as well. And it's, um, it's like, oh, all it needs is some large kind of statue made out of wicker for us to burn someone. But it's one of those festivals. Um, and this year, some of the uh, some of my kids were just like, we're not doing it. It's a patri- it's patriarchal symbolism all the way through. And I felt really proud of them for saying that and not doing it and not taking part, despite all the kind of pressure from the community to do that. Nice. Absolutely. Deconstruct yeah. Midsummer Murder's plot. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jasmine and you obviously both really quite enjoyed Midsummer Murders. I never got into it, but you know. Um, Jasmine, I mean, did you watch Midsummer Murders when you were in like America? Did they have it over No, there? I didn't know it was a thing. Um, it started when I first came over and then, I mean, obviously I lived with Daniel for, for a while. So we spent a lot of time together. It's like, oh, let's watch an episode of Midsummer Murders. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but okay. And it was all part of my, my cultural capital enrichment um i guess that's what i'll call it but yeah <laughs> yeah I, I like midsummer murders part because i lived um on the set of midsummer murders which for those of you who don't know the set of midsummer murders is the entire county of buckinghamshire uh, and while i was there um i uh, ended up with a serial killer as one of my friends what like what i mean like literally uh yes um uh, a friend of mine from university, uh, Ben Fields, during the time I knew him, um, he was killing old age pensioners and he was known as the Maids Morton murderer in the press uh, or the Maids Morton murders, um, these were called. And I just sort of thought that is an unwritten Midsummer Murders episode in itself. What's it? I mean, I'm art, life point. imitating art. Yeah, what's it called? The Maids Morton murderer? Maids, yeah. Wow. Murders. Oh, wow. Yeah, it actually is a thing. Benjamin yeah. Field, 30, was jailed for minimum 36 years. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that about you. Yes, no, I, I knew him. I knew his victims. Well, the two victims. I didn't know the third potential victim. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, all of it happened around this very small, very weird private university. Um so the other character who's named all the way through there is um, Tatara Pratcher, one of the lecturers at the University of Buckingham. I knew her really well, too. I didn't know they were having an affair. All right. Wow. This is all. This is like a Midsummer murder plot. It is. This is just, I just completely blow my mind now. I mean, do you think life imitates art or does art imitate life? I think they're very closely linked. Um, I mean... Is it the reproductive arts um, or the emulative arts uh, that Plato sort of categorises drama into? Um, oh, I thought in the Kama Sutra there. Okay. No, the um, so there's. I I can see why you think that. I know where your mind goes. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, I think. So, yeah, to an extent, um, humans have always created art that mirrored their situations. But also, there's uh, a lot of art um, sort of shows us the future because you're working through possible scenarios when you're creating, when you're being imaginative. I like that idea. I mean, I think so. And then, is science fiction art? which is, 
I think an ongoing debate in some quarters. And I know I, I firmly fall down on on the on the bit of like science fiction is definitely art or a form of art. Um, oh, it's hugely art. Um, there's uh, I always think of the um, uh, foreword to um, Philip K. Dick's *The Scanner Darkly*, um, in which he explains tragedy, uh, the idea of. Uh, tragedy is existing um because the in athens because the athenians had understood the causal mechanics of the universe and as his you know as this sort of fictionalized sci-fi account of the deaths of his friends from drug overdoses uh also operates on the level of a um, of a greek tragedy i never thought about scanning darkly i mean philip hey dick was an amazing writer also oh. He did an awful lot of drugs, um, yep. like a great deal of drugs. I really liked his. Do you know he had he had he had a moment where because he was a very very disorganized person, like totally disorganized, uh, and then one day he had some kind of like weird out of body experience, and he felt like some Is other. This the Valis. Like, yes, Corvallis. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Who, I've read uh, that book. It's bonkers. It is, and this other this other persona just took over his mind. He said, and basically became really good at organizing him, and it's like. What is he describing? Was he having a stroke? Was it just, you know, sort of um, schizophrenic moment? Um, yeah, because you know the organization was, uh, from my recollection, he was having messages beamed to him from a satellite. Yeah, yeah, well, that's how that's how it presented to him. Um, I mean, but is is all like is all cutting edge art slightly unhinged? I think is also a question. Um, or like you know, is it cutting edge? Unless I mean, when you when the art is cutting cutting edge, it's got to be. There's got to be a certain amount of like going to places where society is uncomfortable. Um, oh, I, I think we, great art shocks. Yes, totally. I mean, if we look at like the swimming pool library, for instance, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, Hollinghurst. I think when I first read that, I was like, oh, I do not think they put these kind of things in books. Um, yes, that um, I sort of. One of my favourite passages in literature is the description of the um, uh, the nature documentary of the termite colony and the anteater and the way this is hugely sexualised while it takes place um, in a porn theatre um, that's then deeply desexualized and the way he's juxtaposed. And again, it's the um, what we were talking about earlier, the idea of sort of sex and particularly male sexual as being axiomatically linked with violence uh the idea of penetration and intrusion in a nature documentary yeah i mean i think i think we're actually winning now on like most random tangents on one of these um on our radio shows so we started off discussing like we started discussing what literature is and like you know making uh apex predators and now we're discussing um animal kind of like well, an anteater penetrating a um, an anthill, which is quite, you know. Um, having said that, I've read some really good stuff recently, like a lot of, um, you know, the Western Unforgiven, which was a, a deconstructionist Western by Clint Eastwood. No, I'm afraid I haven't seen it. Oh, my God. Jasmine, have you seen Unconf- Unforgiven? I don't know what that is. Oh, okay. You know, like, okay, so there's a current move right now in fantasy to make, to do de- de- um, deconstructed fantasy. So you take a lot of the kind of like the typical kind of tropes of fantasy, like, you know, the kind of the heavily muscled barbarian um, and you change them in some way to make it 
to kind of like we're kind of put a different lens upon what is happening. So um, Alistair Reynolds did a fantasy series in which the main character was actually gay. Um, and and at the time when he first wrote it, it was quite it was quite a new thing to have the main character be gay. The barbarian character um, basically spent most of the first book wishing he was in a city with running water because he would basically he'd actually experienced that and he was like on the steps being like oh I don't actually like it here I want to be where there's baths again so and then the elves were aliens that's done the one and then Joe Abercrombie uh, with his first law novels has just totally deconstructed all the tropes of fantasy so he did one where um, effectively the Gandalf character was in fact the bad guy all along it was actually manipulating everyone but those are things I read currently. Um, what are you two currently reading? At the moment, actually, I'm reading a deconstructed fantasy. Um, ah, right. Uh, ah. Um, Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James. Um, oh, I want to read that. I loved um, the one he did, the, the 12 Murders. Seven one. Killings. Seven Killings. Seven killing, it, yeah. Yeah, set, yeah. That was... Um, uh, that, this is very different. Um uh, his prose style is still wonderful, and it is, um, you know, it sits around uh, African mythology and folk tale, um, has sort of elements of uh, the sort of, you know, Western fantasy as a genre viewed at through um, uh, a sort of African mythic lens rather than the medieval cultural lens that we tend to construct fantasy through. Um, and then is again uh, hugely interested in gender, in sexuality, and in the sort of liminal spaces of gender and sexuality. I want to read that. I mean, um, see, Kai Ashanti Wilson, have you heard of him? Uh, no, I haven't. He was doing this back in 2015, like short stories, again, very similar uh, setup with a kind of like. Um, He's a really, really good writer. We don't even ever done short stories. He's never really taken off. He's very niche, but a very similar thing. Um, Jasmine, what are you currently reading? Um, it's called The Roundhouse by Louise Erdrich. Um, it's kind of like a. It's it kind of has two parts. So like the main the main plot, I guess, is um, a boy's mother is violently assaulted, um, and he helps his dad try to figure out who did it. But I guess the the main thing is it's like it's a coming of age as you're discovering basically all of the the you're learning you're you're growing up as you're he's like fourteen so he's growing up as he's figuring all of these stuff out so it's kind of those dual plots. Any good? Oh yeah, she's an amazing writer. She's written like sixteen novels. Um, there's probably for British people. There's probably a lot of just like general knowledge that you won't have of like Native American culture. So you're just like, yeah. what what is all of this? Because it's everything is set, um, mostly everything is set on a reservation. Um, and she's in Anishinaabe. So that's like, that's kind of the key thing that uh, it's stories of Anishinaabe people. Um, but it's just, you know, just whatever. That, that's who her characters are. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I love her writing. Oh, I've never, I'll look her up. I'm currently reading uh, Neil Asher's Weaponized, which in his own words is basically just Schwarzenegger level science fiction. So big explosions, aliens, brain neutral, just go for it. Um, which is quite enjoyable for me. 
um, but my most, I think one of the best ones, I've, one of the best sci-fis I've read is Ancillary Justice. Have you two heard of that one? No, I haven't. I don't uh, really read sci-fi, um, so yeah. Oh, Ancillary Justice was like Anne Leckie, and she did, um, she wrote it from the point of view of a kind of like an AI that didn't, it was, at the time it was like, it was, it won loads of awards because it was quite revolutionary, so like quite, well, I don't know. Must be getting up like, ten years. Oishiguro's latest car on no. the sun. No, what's that like? Oh, it's brilliant. Um, it's I mean, Kazuo Ishiguro has always done very flat affects with his um protagonists. Uh and so, you know, it's a logical step to make one a highly intelligent robot. Um, and it's beautifully written. Uh it's sort of speculative um near future sci-fi uh and it is an absolute masterpiece it is worthy of all of the praise that it gets i think in many ways it's a better book than never let me go which is also a brilliant piece of genius oh i am um, someone called i can't read his name wants to call in i'm not gonna let him speak though um so i'm not quite sure if it says i'm jake from germany and his name isn't Jake from Germany on the thing. I'm just going to ignore him and go from there. So, um, getting back to the idea about gender, we when you were teaching when you were teaching like a set text, how much do you explore like gender perceptions um, from the pupils and from what the time frame would be doing? So, so like it depends on the set text, doesn't it? Um, there are set texts in which gender is hugely important in terms of uh, how the narrative works and as a lens with which to view the narrative. So you know you can't really teach Othello without sort of talking about gendered violence in Othello and that Ruth Venita essay, The Unprotectedness of Women in Othello. Um, the question to which, you know, you've got three female archetypes uh, two uh, wives, one highly virtuous, uh, one moderately virtuous, both are dead, and the whore survives. And within Othello, you've got a Madonna whore dichotomy already set up in your um, in your characters. Uh, I think there are um, other texts in which, uh, so when teaching the sign of the four, um, we don't tend to use um, gender as a major obviously there is a gendered subplot in it but i wouldn't say that it was really crucial to our understanding or exploration of the text so i'd leave that aside and i tend to approach the sign of the four through quite a post-colonialist perspective um and wow. you know when we're teaching critical lenses it's always this is you know a toolbox of approaches to a text you know, there are ones that you know tools you will like more than other tools but actually there is such a thing often as a right tool for a job i do like that i do like that approach to teaching that kind of you know a good teacher's got a massive toolbox which is basically their knowledge isn't it um and then bad teachers have only got like a hammer and everything's a nail no matter what it looks like um hmm. jasmine do you do anything with gender when you're teaching or yeah, um, I mean, it, it does. It mostly depends on the text, but a number of what we have, uh, we have a lot of tragedies. So there is a lot of, you know, masculinity. Um, obviously, we talk about gender when we do Romeo and Juliet, 
but then also um, I made a creative writing scheme. Oh, Daniel, that's another thing that I did. I did the creative writing uh, short story unit for year seven. Um, so within yep. that, I, I unintentionally, I mean, I didn't intentionally do this. Yeah, unintentionally, I basically created like, oh, um, where like the women were all kind of evil. Um, I didn't mean to choose stories that did that, but I was like, well, we obviously need to talk about that because that's set of Clytemnestras. Yeah, basically. Um, so we did that. Like it wasn't in the text necessarily, but I wanted them to see what I had done. But then like, you know, we also did the lottery and that like, we didn't talk about gender with that because it's like, it's more about like community and conformity. Um, so that's, you know, we talked about, it, it really just depends. But from year seven, we do we introduce the ideas of like critical lenses, just not all at the same time. And, um, you know, within like in year nine, we talk about Judith Butler, but in year seven, it's just the general ideas of a feminist lens. We kind of build up to it. I like that. I do like it. Yeah. I like that. Why are we saying Clytemestra is evil? Clytemestra had like a good point. Clytemestra, well, Clytemestra was uh, in many ways, extremely virtuous. She's a hugely intelligent woman. Hence her, um, uh, the um, the God of Fire speech, uh, in which she explains how the signal fires gave her the um, uh, notification of the sack of Troy. Uh, but you've also got the um, uh, the murder of her husband, which is something the chorus damn her for. Now you can say that that's you know an appropriate act of revenge for her her husband's sacrifice of Iphigenia. But her husband's sacrifice of Iphigenia is in some way divinely ordained, and her murder of her husband is um, is an aberration. It's an act against nature. It's the um, uh, the sort of thing in uh, Macbeth. In is it? Um, I'm going to say Act Four, Scene One, in which we have the uh, the aftermath of the killing of Duncan, where the natural order of the universe is, is um, upended. Yeah, because, you know, a subject has dared to kill his king in the same way it is upended in, and it sparks the arrival of the Furies and the cycle of revenge killing in um, the Arrestia because a wife has dared to murder her husband while also a subject murdering a king <clears throat> as well. I know, but at the same time, Agamemnon had it coming. Like you totally had to come in, um, but is that just my like you know twenty first century mindset reading too much into it? Um, well, the Almeida did an adaptation of the Arrestia fairly recent. Well, I say fairly recent. I heard about that. Years yeah, back. Was, yeah, yeah, in, in which they made the same argument basically that the um, uh, that Clytemnestra's murder of Agamemnon can be seen as a righteous act of revenge against a structure in which female lives are valued less than male lives you know that it's yeah. about Orestes revenge mission against his mother um and this extent to which we grow boys up to be the violent ones and women to be the oppressed with men to be the oppressors um yeah it's interesting because of all of my kids I have I do, I've read a book a long time ago before the first I bought three girls and my book before I read was about how when you pick up girls people tend to say oh aren't you beautiful and when you pick up boys you tend to say aren't you big and strong so all of my kids have had like me going you're big and strong aren't you big and strong 
and then we do lots of exercise together as well and lots of grip practice and other things um that's our point that simone de beauvoir makes in the second sex which is still true to this day um you know point made 70 years ago that we give boys toys that are all about tools and about sort of working um and we give girls plastic families to look after uh, we raise yeah. them into this nurture trap we condition yeah, no, them I've, that that's what they should be i've given my kids crossbows and like fire starting kits because yeah I, I i think that would be frowned on around where i live in hackney why i think that's wrong you need, to be, you need to teach your kids to you know like hunt and kill their own food mm. Would cut down the fox Hackney, what are they going to be hunting though foxes, what, Hack- well, yeah, foxes. foxes there's good eating on a pigeon although i wouldn't eat a pigeon from london i'd eat you know i'd eat a pigeon from the countryside i have eaten pigeon from the countryside you know but nah. yeah you're, you're worried that london pigeon would simply be too urbane and sophisticated no <laughs> I'm, I'm just... <laughs> The matter is, I mean, you you have to create that thing to get rid of all the diseases, wouldn't you? Um, I don't know how diseased pigeons are in London. I've, you know, never really contemplated eating one from that perspective. You know what? Uh, in Lonely Londoners, he did kill a pigeon that was outside of his window and ate it because he was that poor and didn't have any money. So I think you could probably eat and them. And he survived, yeah. 70, yeah. At least within 70 years ago, you could eat them. I mean, London wouldn't have been much cleaner 70 years ago. I mean, we're sort of pre the Clean Air Act. Um, yeah. The Thames is the cleanest it's ever been. Although mm-hmm. I can't I've remember whether the Tories before. have got into um, pumping sewage into it yet. Probably soon enough. Mm. Um, yeah. Hmm. I'm now thinking about, like, next time we're in London, eating a pigeon. Yeah. Like, is it a good idea or not? Like, we you, could do you that. You definitely eat fish from the Thames. You can, I know, yeah. I've heard about oh. that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the you know the Thames is the Thames. What would you not eat fish from the Thames? Oh, that was a yawn. I'm sorry. I'm so oh, that yawn. Oh, okay, fine. That's okay. That's fine. We're coming to the end. I'm just thinking about uh, we're on Clytemestra. I was also thinking about the other great uh female character from from Greek plays is uh Medea. Um, yes. Was it Medea? Is less yeah less defensible, isn't he? Isn't she? Um, I don't know, wasn't it like, oh, I mean, what she was... She kills her evil, children or... to get back at her husband. She does, but is Euripides basically does it in such a way that she's like, ha-ha, and then she comes in on a day's ex ex machina ex machina ex machina Yeah, it's one of those things, one of those words. Helios, I, oh, yeah. Yeah, and basically goes, ha-ha, I've beaten you, and gives that impassioned speech about, like, how, you know, um she's like a warrior and like you know he she's defeated him and also didn't she also kill like her father-in-law and her the bride-to-be as well didn't she was that Medea? yeah uh possibly yeah i think basically she cooks, I she just yeah because she gives that's it yeah she gives like everyone keeps going she's really clever don't trust her and then she fills everyone gives jason's new bride a poisonous uh, gown that kills her and a poisonous gown also kills oh yes of course yeah 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 but again i mean less defensible but then she basically she says i'm acting like a man i'm acting like a warrior i am a warrior 
Um, well, that's, you know, I, I, I don't think it becomes less toxic if females embody toxic masculinity. No, true. Um, but I, I, I always think the character, the female character who's most fascinating in Greek drama is uh, Cassandra, actually, who I, I think t- t- tells us more about the position of women in society then and now than any of the sort of atypical warrior queens. No, yeah, I have. Yeah, I used to use that phrase an awful lot. I feel like Cassandra, because there's yeah. been schools I've worked and I've gone, this is all going wrong. And I'm saying this is going to go going wrong, wrong soon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've had that and then experience. Everyone's like, nah, too. it's going to be fine. Yeah, everything's going to be fine. I'm like, oh, it's not. And then I'll have to rock up and it all falls apart. But, you know. Yeah. And I get to say, I'm going on so. special measures. I know because I've been many special measures schools before. Yep. And there we go. Um, yeah, no, I do like Cassandra. I feel bad for her. I do like the current trend. There's a current trend for people to re- be re- rewriting the Greek myths from um, female perspectives. Have you seen that? Yes, um, yeah, the Penopoliad. And the one that I really love is um, The Silence of the Girls, which is brilliant. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, there's a sequel as well. Uh, I just bought it. I haven't read it yet, though. Uh, the sequel I bought the other day. Um, I, haven't, and- I, have, I haven't heard of the sequel. Yeah. Oh, I will. I will text you after this. It's, up, it's upstairs. It's on my like to be read pile next to a lot of things. I also like Natalie Haynes's books. Have you heard her? Ever heard of her? I've heard of her. Um, I think I might have a couple of her books, but haven't read. Got round to reading them. Wait, I'll just go to my bookcase. Uh, Haynes. Um, Are you sitting on the red chair? I was sitting on the red chair. I'm now right by the bookcase. Um, oh. So can you? No, I haven't got any of hers. So she's she's a a thousand ships. She's done, um, which is retelling the Troy from the female perspective. Yeah, the invasion of Troy. Yeah. And now she's doing the children of Jocasta. Children of Jocasta is really good. Um, And then who else is good? Oh, um, who wrote Song Song of Achilles? Who did that one? Song of Achilles. Uh, Madeline Miller is it? That's it. Yeah, that was an amazing one. I mean, I rarely feel like emotional about anything, but that book was like, oh, I feel emotion about this book. That was really good. Yeah. Um, that, was, please... that was very good. So uh, Daniel's got a very interesting bookcase. Can you please explain to the listeners how your bookcase is organised? It's really not that complicated, and I don't know why uh, Jasmine makes such a big deal of it and now has organised her bookcases in exactly this one. Um, So top left of my bookcase is uh, large anthologies, so critical anthologies, not anthologies. Um, It goes on to uh, plays which are organised by classics first um, uh, and then extends onto the Bible. Uh, Then from, so I'm looking on the top shelf going left to right um, and there are sort of um, five bookcases that are lined up this way, two in the, well, three in the living room, two in the hall. Then goes on to poetry, again, surnamed by author, to every poetry collection. Um, It then goes on to play collections after that. Then it starts on um, long-form non-fiction, which occupies about three shelves. Uh, Then there's a break for collections of short stories, um, which, again, surnamed by author or surnamed by editor. Um, depending on whether it's a collection by uh, one writer or a collection by multiple writers. Uh, 
critical material sits on a separate shelf. Um, and then the rest is all fiction. Oh, and I've also got young adult fiction um, on its own bookcase. All right. It just seems because I've made a lot of kids. My bookcase is like organized in a very less organized way. In fact, there is no organization to my bookcase in any way, shape or form. I find it very difficult to find anything in that case, because, you know, the truth is, if you're, say, you need to select an unseen poem um, because you're writing an assessment, uh, you'll go to where all of the poetry is and you'll want to pull down a few books of poetry. You're not going to go, well, actually, I can remember Elam's, Fenton, Gluck Hill, um, Rankin and just sort of pull from the rest of the novels those books you want them in one place and it's the same kind of thing with short stories yeah no i can see that i'm just a bit disorganized but they do they do basically employ two people at work to run around after me and organize me because you know i have certain strengths i have certain weaknesses but at least i'm aware of those things i'm looking around my i'm sitting in my, one of my kids rooms right now i'm looking around and there's like at least uh, at least 60 books in my vision right now and across the shortage shelves, um, which we've organized, it seems, by height. That seems to be the way we've That's literal books. violence. That needs to be changed. <laughs> I will send... It's not as bad as organizing them by color of the spine. No, but I'm going to send a picture to the group chat so you can like, see what my... Eugene, you can't talk about the group chat. Just kidding. Is it a secret? Legendary badger DMs. <laughs> yes, yeah, they are a secret. <laughs> is it a secret? No one told me it's a secret. Is it a secret? Uh, we're apparently supposed to do very, very nefarious things in there. <laughs> I think we, we mostly just. It might have been that. where we cancelled Australia from. Yeah, we I planned mean, it there, and then we said we're going to cancel all Australians. Yep. Um, that was fun, actually. To be fair, that was a good bit of violence. Um, the coordinating of badger pylons. I mean, I don't think, I mean, we can be accused of many things, um, but being coordinated, we couldn't be. Yeah. Oh, God, no. Just, no, we're just being called just a what? Mess. Coordinated. Oh, no. I am. How, how many get togethers have we not managed to do? <laughs> oh, three this year. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we just start talking and then we get distracted, and we're currently. What are we currently discussing? Um, uh, so your bookcase, um, before that is Utah Republican apologizes for saying women can take control of intake of, and I guess the rest of that semen. Um, phrase is probably seem Yeah, it's yep. semen. Um, what? Yeah. Yeah, it's the, it's the Guardian article. Out. Richard posted it. Um, I, the group chat what moves Utah so quickly. Apologies. It, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, the same. Why would she say that? Um, because it was about the, you know, because the United States has gone really back in the dark ages. Yeah. She said, I got a text message today saying I should seek to control men's ejaculations and not women's pregnancies. She added, I do trust women enough to control when they allow a man to ejaculate inside of them and to control that intake of semen. I mean, the first one... Uh, rules out the prospect of rape ever happening in America, which is an interesting um, utopian claim. And the second one is biologically very impressive. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
there, yeah, there, there, I, I there, there's, there's absolutely a you know a show to be made in um, uh, Magaluf or wherever Liverpudlians go on holiday of vaginal control to the extent that you can control semen input. I mean, uh, or semen uptake, I suppose. That's definitely going to be a Netflix series, isn't it? Well, absolutely, and I think <laughs> I, I, yeah. America is already a Netflix series. I assume that absolutely, and, you know, a fascinating series of Louis Theroux documentaries. I assume that everything that's on Netflix accurately depicts America. Um, yeah, maybe so. I really want to see, this is my current thing to watch, but I don't, I don't really watch TV, um, Snowflake Mountain. You heard about this? No. No. All right, so my, my um, people say to me today, they're just like, oh, you got to watch it. Basically, it's on Netflix. It's currently number eight in the UK. It is, in fact, um, they take the 10 of the snowflakiest snowflakes ever and they stick them on a mountain and they got like two marine boot camp people shouting at them and making them not be snowflakes. Effectively, seems to be the uh, The culture the wars is a reality show. Yeah, pretty much. And I'm kind of like morbidly curious. Um, my mate, he said, you can watch, you, you, he basically, he was like, I can't watch this. He started watching it and he was basically hooked for three episodes. But after three episodes, he was like, I got bored, you know? So I can see why, you know, watching people who like avocados and flat whites being shouted at by Marines loses its appeal after a very brief period of time. Three episodes. So I guess... An episode. How long is an episode? An episode is approximately fifty minutes. So I would reckon. What we're we looking at then. One hundred fifty minutes. One hundred fifty minutes, not including. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, apparently the best bit was where they all we got told to climb up their mountain to get all their stuff. So they all turned up with loads of like like clothes and all their stuff, and they climbed all those massive mountain to see their all their belongings in a big pile that was then doused in petrol and set fire to. So, yeah, I don't get why people volunteer to do this. Uh, apparently their, their parents volunteered them. I'm not entirely sure that's legal. Yeah, I know, but I'm sure they're getting paid plenty of money So yeah. from it. It's on Netflix. It's probably got yeah. paid loads of money for it, you know. Um, yeah, otherwise I don't really watch TV. So, yeah. Are you watching anything good? Uh, I've attempted lot um i'm watching ozark at the moment actually um and contemplating watching the snowpiercer tv series which everyone says is great unless you've seen the film all right have you seen the film yes have you read the brilliant yeah we watched it last weekend is that last weekend weekend before i think might be last weekend yeah weekend before again lack of lack of time like lack of like sense of time there jasmine you watched anything decent on tv um, I've been watching a lot of MasterChef. Oh. What I do, but that, I mean, generally, I've been so tired. Like, I've been going to bed at, like, 7 p.m. every day, so I haven't really been doing much. Um, I love how gendered our TV choices are. How do you mean? Well, the girl gets the show that's on cooking. Um, and I Yeah, get but the show it's not, it's not, like, it's not, no, it's MasterChef, and all the people on it are men. So, Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Mm. And why are you watching Ozark? Because of you. Exactly. 
yeah, it's in another life. I'd be a drug dealer or I'd be like a baker or something. Um, I love organized crime. Uh, you, you, you could combine the two things. I, I mean, could. I could have my bakery. Uh, there, there's, there's, there's certainly a distribution <laughs> network you could get out of baking. Look inside the second baguette. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, your powdered For anyone listening, I, I would never actually do that. I, I value my life and my my normalness a bit too much. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Um, yeah, that's it's a complete joke. I just really like mafia. Yeah, stuff. and you'd be deported to an American prison. Yeah, I yeah I would. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I'm now I'm now thinking about all the possible ways you could like smuggle drugs through baguettes or through powdered <laughs> donuts. <laughs> Actually, oh, powdered like... donuts. You just you know yeah. uh, the powder. Yeah. Yeah. The irony. Hide it in plain sight. No, yeah. I fill the donuts with a uh, jam. You could get more that way. Or custard yes, then or something. You, you, you then need to reduce the jam or the custard to extract the drug from it. Have you not seen Queen to... of the South? That's what she did with her liquid cocaine. No, what's Queen of the South? It's another drug show. All right. No, I don't watch as much drug television as you. Yeah, that one was from a couple years ago. It's really good, though. More drugs. Was that the one where she was like Colombian? No, that's um, that's another one that I've also seen. This one's Mexican. All right. No, yeah, my, my mate, my mate. You think about view the La Viuda Negra? That's um, that's the Colombian one. Oh yeah, he, he read about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, black. Yeah, yeah, he read about that. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, I don't really watch TV, so or anything. Cause I'm too busy. Oh um, oh. what's Roger's history? Tom. Tom is here. There we go. I think. Oh, hello. Has he entered? Hello, Tom. Roger's history. Join the room. So either he's the third person, or we are the three people here. We are the uh, three. I, I think. Is he yeah, we're again? the three. Yeah, no, he's gone. Oh, yeah, everyone's fine. gone. Lots of people entered. Yeah, lots Tom. of people entered. <laughs> oh, and P- here's P B G A E six Abaca seven Pa. Yeah. I think okay, that is, um, I assume, a cryptographic hash. <laughs> We're being listened to by a section of the blockchain. What's blockchain? <laughs> now that we've been talking about smuggling drugs in custard donuts, they're listening to us. <laughs> yeah. What is a blockchain? Oh, good. A blockchain is a decentralized ledger of transactions um, that's cryptographically secure and that you can... Um, there's a bit of maths that allows you to prove that the ledger has been uh, unaltered or only altered one time. So you can put things up to the, on the ledger, um, but you can't modify it except by making the transaction. It's the um, piece of technology that underpins cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I never, I don't understand cryptocurrency. It's not one of those things that's just become like, I'm increasingly becoming my dad, whereby anything new, I'm just like, I don't understand this. I don't get that. Don't get Snapchat. Don't get that. Don't understand it. Uh, the technology isn't really very new. Um, the idea that you'd use it then in order to provide a, um, you know, what is essentially a commodities trade um, is relatively new. But sort of um, uh, strong cryptography is a relatively old technology. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, I think we're actually kind of coming you're to the better, end of our time. Let me ask a question. Yeah. If I hire a cleaner to do my laundry, 
are they going to like pick the stuff up off my floor and put it in my washing machine? Um, I would. On how much you're paying them? Yeah, just, it's I part would. of the like. It's one of the. It's like it, it's an extra thing. So like laundry, I just don't know what that includes. I would find out, but I would also like. I'd, st- I'd stick it in a box. Yes. Have uh-huh. a laundry basket. Okay. I mean, that's I do have I mean. a basket. It's just, it's. I think it's still in my kitchen because that's because like psychopaths, you know, we have a laundry laundry in our kitchen. Like how all the Americans notice. Yeah. Why is that a bad thing? They do. You didn't see that whole thing. She was like, "Oh my god, English people have Europe. yeah washing machines in their kitchen. It's disgusting." Yeah, and we're like, "Well, at least we like don't have school shootings every other day." You know, choose one or the other. <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a very it's a very stark binary choice. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. But um, so yeah, it's I I did laundry the other day, in which my laundry is still in there. But I think my 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 basket's still in there as well. Oh, I did laundry this morning, and I've left it in there. I should have, I should have hung it out to dry. Damn it! You can oh. re- I did laundry several days it. ago, and I think it's still in there. Say it again. You take your laundry. I did laundry out. several days ago, and I think it's still in there. This has now become the most boring conversation we've had. <laughs> is it? Um, is it? Adulting is, is hard. Is it a load of socks? Oh, probably. Um, yeah, completely identical black socks. <laughs> well, if they identical black socks you don't actually have to go through much effort in pairing them <laughs> see i'm very like, efficient i don't like socks so you socks. don't wear socks well i wear them to work because like you know i'm wearing like smart shoes but if i can grow up with not wearing socks i don't wear socks oh do you wear those weird feet shoes i have done in the past but oh, I tend to... weird i, I see tend to... crocs jeans past no, no, I'm not that bad. I, I, I go barefoot an awful lot. Crocs are not worse than the feet shoes. It's called Vibrams. Vibram shoes. So yeah. you, you go barefoot, like, you know, through your Cornish village with its mm. annual child sacrifice ritual? No, the annual child sacrifice ritual is a town 16 miles away. The, um,. <laughs> That's not us, that's the town over. Yeah, that's the other side of the bay. Come on. All all, all of the villages contribute their children to the sacrifice. (laughs) (laughs) I volunteer as tribute. Yeah, there's like a lottery. um, And, uh, you know, the the, the chosen one gets gets to go in the big wicker man. (laughs) Oh my God, it's like the lottery. Oh my God. Those up choices are all marriages. Yes. To the ma- oh. the Baron who controls the uh, controls Cornwall. Uh, that's Prince Charles. Ironically enough, I could see him having a stash of child brides. Oh, I can't comment upon that. Is that please kind of background. Hang with those in Cornwall. Um, speaking of which, my partner is going to. Pro- I will tell. I'll put in the chat about a thing my partner is doing involving. I can't tell you what it's about either, but it does link to what we just discussing. Not the police thing. Is that I Perkins? Who's I Perkins? Oh, I thought you that that was your partner. I thought you said they were gonna start talking. No. No, my partner's like probably like corralling the kids or something. But no, I'm, my partner's there's a funny story. That's definitely not Cornwall. We can't find police anywhere in Cornwall. Oh well, you mean the sirens in the background? Yeah. No, you're picking up the sounds of Hackney. Oh, that is Hackney in general. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, continuous. 
basically things you won't find in Cornwall are ambulances that are vaguely on time, uh, the police and uh, NHS dentists. Wow. And more than seven surnames. No, it's, it's like eight surnames. Cause it's, you know. But yeah, you've got the Pengellys, the Williamses, um, the different Gothlands, uh, the Pascos. Your name. My name, because uh, I've got cousins down here. Um, and that's pretty much it, really, to be fair. Yeah. Huh. It's Cornwall. It's, like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Alabama, but like. Oh, that sounds grim. I don't know. It's got, it's greener. I always imagined Alabama is quite like. You just said that Cornwall is like Alabama, which is one, it's in America, two, it's in the south of America. That just sounds horrible. Cornwall's in the south of England. Yeah, the southwest. The rich south of England, the horrible south Alabama is not wealthy. Yeah, neither is Cornwall. No, that's false. Some people in Cornwall are very, very rich. And everyone else. No, they're land. not in Cornwall. They're in London. They've just bought places in Cornwall. Okay, fine. Some uh, some landowners, in, some land, some landowners of land, are rich in Cornwall, but they don't live there. Oh man. Yeah, that's why they're money. Yeah. So those people like basically own expensive houses and then pay council tax in London. And oh wow. Money. Yeah. So we've got like no money. So such is the way of things. But anyway, on that depressing note, we're actually out of time. So I think I get to play the uh, outro now. It's been really nice speaking to you both about really random things, classical plays. Nice speaking to you too. Yeah, it's no, me it's, it's too. You, I just almost called you the the typo that my phone calls you, but I'm not going to call you that. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Eugenia, there we go. I'll call you that one. Eugenia, I think it called yeah, you that. That's a that's a far better way of doing it. I don't <laughs> mind being being called the other one. Um. Although we will probably get complaints. Yeah, exactly. Just like, it's all a joke. <laughs> we won't get complaints. No one is listening to this. Yeah, this There's is three true. people listening. Yeah, Nwippy's listening. L Perkins09 is listening. And Tudor Wubba Boa Diva is listening. I think L Perkins09 might be a real person. I think so. L Perkins, before we go, who are you? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. Nothing. Well. Outro it is. Outro it is. Well, it's been really good fun talking to you both uh, and hearing your dulcet tones. Um, have a good rest of your week. I'm going to go now and, and um, have dinner and probably drink some really nice beer. That's my plan. Shall we and have then, a badger meet up in Cornwall in the summer? I think Ooh. we should. I think we should. Cornwall is nice in the summer, actually. Uh, Cornwall is pretty. When it's yeah. water, it's pretty. You know what? It is. And I think, you know... I mean, you could sail your boat down here. Uh, it's a long sail. Is that? I don't know what that means. Uh, so um, it's a long journey. Travel, yeah, it's it's a long journey, uh, but it would be possible. Um, oh, I thought you meant that your boat had a long sail. I thought like a no, miles. no. And oh. there, I think there are some um, some marinas in Cornwall that are deep enough to um, moor my boat. Uh, a lot of Cornwall dries. But I'm sure there are places that I could sail to in Cornwall. How big is your boat? Um, so it's uh, about 38, 39 foot. Um, uh, it draws, um, I can't remember the uh, draft of it. I think it's 1.4 meters. Um, uh, and that's a single keel. So if the water dries out, the boat ends up on its side, which is not good for it. 
Oh, okay. They've not decided um, to stand on their keels. Wow. Yeah, it, it needs to always be in deep water. Okay. On that note, like... we have yeah, to on that go. Note, <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the uh, outro. Thanks so much. Have a good light life. Or whatever. Later, lads. Take care. Bye. Bye. Listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. Am I timing it right? Am I talking? And.